kiss your mother with that mouth? Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about minutes 73 and 74, which begin with our heroes ducking gunfire and end with the Mariner climbing the mast. We wrapped last week with the Trimoran under attack from the Smoker Skyboat, and we pick up right where we left off, as we do with all of our episodes, with Helen, Enola, and the Mariner scrambling for cover. Specifically, Helen and Enola, they find cover at the base of the mast, considering it is the most sturdy part of the ship and would therefore offer the most cover from gunfire. I suppose, but there is a cabin. Exactly. In this situation, I would like to believe that I would run for the cabin. I would get out of sight. That would have solved a lot of the problems that we are about to see. (laughs) If Helen had at very least taken Enola to the cabin, shoved her down below to keep her safe, then they would have been there when the Mariner ducked down in there, which she perceived as running away. Therefore, she had to take matters into her own hands. Mm -hmm. If she had been in the same vicinity as him, she would have seen that he went down there to get weapons. When Helen shouts coward at the Mariner, I'm not entirely convinced that despite them spending so much time on this boat that she has actually been below decks on the trimaran. Enola went down there. Yeah. Yeah. So from Helen's point of view, she doesn't know the ship as well as Enola does. So that could be why. And that might even be reasonable as to why she didn't duck below decks and did choose to go behind the mast and behind this box. If Helen knew that there were a... Big pile of weapons down below deck. She would understand why the Mariner went that direction. And Enola knows. But Enola's not going to say anything in this situation. No. She's a kid. Right. It's not really. She's not really in a position to do much communicating. Yeah. Nobody is. Nobody is. I do not fault the Mariner for not saying to Helen, hey, Helen. I'm going to go down below decks to get some weapons. You stay here and hide. I do not fault him for not doing that. I don't fault Helen for assuming that he was running away. She doesn't know anything about him. She doesn't know there's weapons down there. So in a situation like this where everything is snappy, there's no time to communicate. Yeah, bad things happen all the time in moments like these. Mm -hmm. Honestly, with him diving underneath the deck... I couldn't necessarily see this happening, but with all of the different tricky things that this trimaran has done so far, I wouldn't have been surprised if some hatch had opened up somewhere and a giant cannon popped out. And he was there (laughs) with a fuse charge and he lit the fuse and it fired off an actual cannonball at the plane. I would not have been the least bit surprised because they pack so much weird stuff and we haven't even seen it all. Yeah, I would agree that if he came out with some sort of part of the ship weapon, that would have been fantastic and plausible and totally like, shut up, Helen. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm usually (laughs) on her side, but I'm finding it really hard to be on her side for these two minutes. She's in a situation that is very desperate, 
And for the longest time, Helen has had to live her life in service of protecting Enola from the other eight tollers, from the Mariner, from all sorts of outside threats. And so it doesn't surprise me that she leaps into action like she does, but it does disappoint me that she doesn't seem to fully think through her actions. She gets this idea because the plane flies by. She sees the harpoon cannon. She's like, ooh, a harpoon cannon, an offensive weapon. I don't see the Mariner. I know what I need to do. And the problem with that statement is that the very definition of a harpoon yeah. is that it's attached. It is a hunting weapon, mm-hmm. which she should know about. I am sure the Atoll used harpoons. Oh, absolutely. So this isn't a foreign thing where she doesn't understand that this sort of bolt, this large bolt with this big old barb on the tip of it, that is clearly a harpoon gun. And I mean, she gets to the gun. She checks around the front of it. She can see that there's a little basket of line and yeah. a lead coming off of it. She knows what a harpoon is. Absolutely. You're, you're 100% right. So I'm not sure what she was expecting to happen. I can see the wisdom of not disconnecting the harpoon before firing it. Because if you miss and the harpoon falls into the ocean, you're never getting it back. Unless it's still tethered and then you can just pull it back onto the boat. Exactly. Exactly. So maybe she was envisioning that it wouldn't go through the plane, that it would stick into the plane in such a way that she could get it back, that she could pull it back out. In which case, that's not enough damage to actually do anything. So what's the point? I'm not entirely sure that Helen thought it out completely. And that was the main problem we had with it. I think it's important that we do duck back a little bit because I just noticed a couple of things. When we cut below deck with the Mariner, we see bullets ricocheting off the inside of the cabin. So we know that the hull isn't completely bulletproof. Yep. So it would have offered minimal protection against the bullets, but it would have broken line of sight which would have been very frustrating for the gunner. But the gunner doesn't get to shoot for that much longer. And the reason that there is an opening for Helen to run to the harpoon gun is because his gun jams. And the gunner utters the only instance of the F word in this PG-13 movie. (laughs) And I wanted to call attention to that, that every PG-13 movie, according to the MPAA, which is the Motion Picture Association of America, they get, quote, a single use of the harsher sexually derived words, though only as an expletive. You cannot use the F word in reference to the sexual act. You can only use it as an exclamation. Okay. I have a question about the sequence of events and what might have happened. So the machine gun on the plane jams up. We get the one expletive. And then Helen is able to make it to the harpoon gun, shoot him, and then chaos ensues. Mm -hmm. If she hadn't, do you think the plane would have been done anyways? So if Helen had not shot the plane with the harpoon, the gunner would have unjammed the gun because he unjams the gun immediately before being skewered by the harpoon gun. Oh, okay. He would have resumed firing. What Helen could have done versus what she did do is run below deck and take cover because she wasn't actively being shot. At an early point in this clip, the pathway to the cabin, the below decks area, is cut off because of gunfire, which is why they stay crouched at the bottom of the mast. So they could have kept moving, but 
I think Helen had enough of the cowering at this point. She was getting desperate to do something, to act in some way and not be so passive. Something else that happens in that moment when Helen lunges for the harpoon is that we get a good look at what Enola is doing. (laughs) She is drawing, of course, because that's what she does. Like a little courtroom sketch artist. Exactly. And she's doing it with a sense of urgency, with a sense of, I have to record what's happening. And that kind of made me wonder about her drawing. If she gets this sense, this almost maybe like a prophetic sense of these images that she saw when she was a baby. I'll bet you her conscious mind doesn't remember these things. No, no, no. We know her conscious mind doesn't remember these things. Gregor asked her, what are you drawing? And she's like, I don't know. So I'm wondering if there's something supernaturally special about her. That compels her to draw? That compels her to draw. I think that's just her personality. She draws what she sees, and this is something very out of the ordinary. So she feels compelled to draw it. I think her personality isn't a strong enough sense of what's going on, especially here. She is doing this with a sense of urgency instead of... Instead of what? Instead of (laughs) trying to hide. I mean, she's already hiding. No, she's not. She's behind. No, that is not a hiding spot. She is between a box and the mast. No, she knows where a better place to hide is. And she's not going for it. She is choosing this time to draw what she sees instead of hiding. I think there's something more to her drawing than just, I like to draw. Yeah, I see it more as a, I'm stuck behind this box. I need to do something. I can't do anything because I'm a little girl, so I'm going to draw it because that's all she can do. All right. This is going to have to be a thing where we agree to disagree because I think that that's just not reasonable. I think Helen would have been upset with Enola if Enola made a break for the other end of the boat. No. When your life is in danger, first of all, you don't sit there and draw when your life is directly in danger. You also don't worry about getting yelled at, i.e. Helen. She's doing something stupid, but it's all she has in her brain to defend themselves because their lives are in direct danger. So she doesn't care what the Mariner thinks about what she's about to do. I'm disappointed that you are turning me down for something that I actually like about Enola. Because I hate the drawing thing. But I could get on board with the drawing thing if it were something deep inside of her that compels her to draw. And something that is more than just a personality trait. I I don't know. I'm I'm satisfied with it not being... No, that's stupid. It needs to be more than just a personality trait. I don't know. I look at the drawing and I see that as a core element of her character. Love just who she is. I think it's more than that. Okay. I think that's the only thing that makes her interesting is that there's more to her than I'm a little girl and I like to draw. (laughs) Okay. I was thinking about the harpoon gun. Mm -hmm. So earlier in this movie, we saw the harpoon gun fire off from the trimaran, hook into the Hellfire gunboat, and drag it around to explode the fuel barge. We never see Kevin Costner disconnect the harpoon from the gun in that opening scene. They just sail away because we're distracted by an explosion. So the movie has already hand-waved and said it's not important to worry about the details of the harpoon gun, but 
there is always going to be that little part in the back of my mind that's like, oh, where are they getting the line? Where are they getting the guns? And I think I'm just fine ignoring that part of my mind that is asking me to nitpick this thing. Well, I think it's okay to nitpick it because I, I think that I had actually forgotten how this harpoon was used in the past. So this is a reflection of that usage. Mm-hmm. The Mariner used that on purpose to shoot into another vehicle to bring it to destruction. And Helen saw this opportunity and said, oh, I'm going to do the same thing that the Mariner did before. It worked before. Why not now? I'll bring the plane down. It won't have anywhere to go. It can't fly away. It'll just crash. If the Mariner had been yelling at Helen after the scene said, where did you learn about this? And she could have said, I learned it from watching you. Yeah. It also shows us that she knew that it wasn't her not thinking. She knew it was a harpoon gun. She really did. She saw it do what she wants it to do. She was there when he had to retract it and put it away properly so it could be used again. So she knew all of that. And she did this on purpose. Mm. That's a very interesting it's a very interesting way to think about it. Yeah. Speaking of interesting ways to think about the situation. Huh. This part in the book is from the Mariner's point of view. So we follow him as he dives below deck and he starts futzing with all of his weapons and whatnot. It describes Helen shouting out to him as the sound of the woman's voice over the seaplane's rumble and all that jazz. And so when the Mariner pops out from below deck, he's able to see that the smoker gunner is cleaning out the gun. And the book says, just as he was thinking of how to best use it, he saw her, the woman, Helen, hunched over the harpoon gun mounted on the bow. She had the thing cocked and swinging it around, taking aim on the circling plane. Her face was tight with determination, and he admired her courage, even as he knew the disaster she was sowing. And he screamed, no! <laughs> there are several O's here in the book. It continues, she either didn't hear him or didn't care about his opinion because she fired the gun and its big harpoon streaked into the sky, trailing its line. And just as the gunner was swinging his fierce, now unjammed weapon around, bringing it back to bear on the trimaran, the harpoon stabbed through the plane's fuselage. Frankly, I love the image of the harpoon firing up from the trimaran. I think it's animated really well. I don't feel like it's awkward looking or anything like that. And I especially love the part where you're behind the plane and you see the tip of that harpoon punch through the fuselage. Yes, there are some great visuals in this entire sequence. And I have to agree about the harpoon bolt flying into the air. It has done really well. And how lucky of a shot is it that Helen was able to nail the gunner so perfectly? Right, and under any other circumstance, that just would have been a fantastic shot. Oh, absolutely. And the Mariner would have begrudgingly been proud of her? I don't know. In the book, he uses words like admired well, a lot more. He never uses those words, and I don't think he even thinks those words in yeah. the movie. I think there are a lot of opportunities where Helen either could have missed the plane or struck a part of the plane that was less, uh, let's say, important to the overall function of the plane. I thought initially of two other situations that it would have been really fun for her to hit the plane with this harpoon. For one, I think it would have been really cool if the harpoon had struck the very tail of the plane and ripped those fins off completely so the plane spiraled out of control into the water. 
That would have been awesome. That would have been fun. And yes. oh my gosh, the Mariner would have had to give her so much credit for that move because she would have literally single-handedly taken down this plane on her own. It would have been amazing. And I think that's why it didn't happen that way. Yeah. Is that it's not time yet for the three of them to start getting along. It's too soon. I noticed something when the Mariner is down below getting his weapon. There's a moment where he seems to be a bit frustrated and he takes his machete and like swipes across the netting. Yeah. Is that because Enola knocked it down and got it tangled up in ropes and whatnot earlier? Probably. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Because that makes so much sense. Like, And we noted it when she did that. It was like neatly rather up high and she knocked it down and just like half-heartedly hooked it onto the thing, not even close to where it was. Yeah. So that's a really nice little touch callback. I thought of another way that it would have been fun for the harpoon to damage the plane if instead of skewering the gunner, she had skewered Jack Black. Because if he had been stabbed with the harpoon, as soon as the plane started flying away, he would have been pulled out of the plane. Oh, yeah. So easy. It kind of reminds me of the video game series Just Cause, where they give you a harpoon gun on your wrist. And you can fire that harpoon gun at people, and you can pull them, or you can attach them to something else. I think one of my favorite things to do is to take enemies and use my harpoon. I attach one end to them, and I attach the other end to a pressurized gas canister and I shoot off the top of the canister and it shoots off like a rocket. Yeah. And because they're attached, they go too. (laughs) So it would have been pretty crazy to see Jack Black get skewered and then yanked out of the plane. Yeah. Leaving the gunner to just ride it out to the end. Right. And he would have gotten some more shots off. Although he might have been so surprised by what was happening that that damage may have been limited. I... Could definitely see a few more last-ditch effort shots coming out of him, but... Yeah. Without a pilot, he would have been pretty doomed. Yeah, would have gone down pretty, pretty fast. <laughs> None of that actually happened. What actually ends up happening is the pilot turns around, and he sees his partner in crime, we assume his best friend in the world, because they work together all the time, skewered through the torso with a big piece of iron and rope coming out of his body. And I can just imagine how horrifying that is, even for someone like the smoker pilot, who is technically a bad guy. Right. I have a hard time labeling peons as bad guys. That's a good point. Because there's a decent chance that they were born into this group, this cult, and never made the choice. Hey, this is what I want to be. They're just hey, here's a place where I get food and water and something to do all day. Uh Uh-huh. So I'm here. So I don't think he's a bad guy. And even bad guys have feelings. Just because he's a bad guy doesn't mean he's a bad guy. Mm Mm-hmm. We're going to see in a later scene, I'm pretty sure this pilot is not a bad guy. Like, he's a bad guy, but he's not a bad guy. (laughs) Helen quickly realizes that the plane is attached to the boat now. And there is a lot of creaking from the old metal that's holding the harpoon onto the boat. It is rather distressing to hear. In the book, it describes this situation as the plane being attached to the trimaran by an uncompromising umbilical cord. 
and as the plane flew, the line connecting it to the harpoon gun began to tighten. And finally, the line was taut, and the expression on the woman's face was one of dawning horror as she realized what she'd done. Yeah, so I guess she was aiming more for the pilot that she was hoping to bring down the plane. Mm -hmm. And while her shot was excellent, it's not what she was hoping for, and it was bad. Yeah, I think with the line going taut and the realization that it's not going to just break away, that's the dawning horror. Because, yeah, if she hit another part of the plane, if she hit like a wing and it tore off the wing, or if it hit the tail and tore off the tail, you know, then they're home free. They can pull back the harpoon, no harm, no foul. But yeah, that idea of being tethered, uh, yeah, it's rough. It's turned this plane into one of those toys that you see, you screw it into the ceiling and then you turn it on and the plane just flies around in a circle like a tetherball. Right. Or to make another Tina Majorino reference, like a tetherball from Napoleon Dynamite. Exactly. I'm not going to say that they included the tetherball scene in Napoleon Dynamite as a tribute to this scene. No, they included it because it's stupid. (laughs) It's visually a dumb game to play. Now, it may be a fun game to play, but visually it looks stupid, especially if you're trying to make it look stupid. Yeah. And they certainly did that in Napoleon Dynamite. They did. For sure. The Mariner, he sees what's happening and he shouts over to Helen to cut the line. And I'm not sure if I should be surprised or not that Helen, someone living in a post-apocalypse, doesn't always have a knife on her. Like, there are so many people that are avid outdoors people, hiking and camping and doing all of that stuff, and they always have a knife on them. Yeah. As a tool. And the Mariner always has one strapped to his leg, so he probably assumes that everybody has a knife. And I'm a little disappointed that they didn't give Helen a knife. It does make a lot of sense. In a survivalist world, it's an incredibly handy thing to have. I guess I have to chalk it up to her living on an atoll and in a situation where you don't necessarily need to always have a knife because you're living in a settlement. I guess so. She's so defensive of Enola. I'm kind of surprised she doesn't carry one anyways. Mm -hmm. Just always to be prepared for that potential. But maybe things on the atoll weren't as bad for Enola as they seem to us in their last day of being there. Yeah. Maybe that was a new thing. Maybe that was not a consistent thing. The Mariner actually gets a lot closer to cutting them free from this plane situation in the book. It says, Knife in hand, the Mariner ran toward the bow. Even as the ship lurched with the plane fighting the restraining line, and the deck around the harpoon gun began to whine and groan like an injured beast. Helen had backed off and now stood shielding Enola, and he flew past them, his blade just touching the line, when the entire harpoon gun and its stand ripped free from the deck and went flying overhead as he landed bruisingly hard. Oh my goodness. I know why they didn't do that. That's really hard to communicate visually in such a fast-paced environment as we have here. That he came like so close. So I get why they didn't do that. But the tension would have been better. Yeah. More if he had gotten so close. It is so spectacular to see the harpoon gun ripped off of the bowsprit and just fly through the air, dragged up along the jib to lodge itself in the upper supports of the mast. It's very scary because all of that stuff, I 
suspect that the harpoon line is it line or is it metal? It's like, some what's sort it of made of. It's some sort of reinforced line, I think. Okay. Because there's got to be something strong enough to hold that plane right? to the ship. I feel like if it was just rope, it would have broken. So maybe I like the idea of it is rope, but it has been reinforced with something. Yeah. I like that idea. Like maybe it's got a cable core. Yeah. He does dive down below the ocean. Right. So and, he might oh, be able to find some of that. Yeah. You know where you find cable? On ski lifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody's got cable all over the place. In fact, we can see up close as he's climbing, we can see some of the lines that are near him, and they look a lot like cable. Something I want to point out, even if Helen or the Mariner, either one of them, had cut that line, the whipping on that line releasing that tension would have been scary. Oh, absolutely. It could have been deadly. Reminds me of the movie Ghost Ship. In the very opening scene of Ghost Ship, it shows how everybody died uh-huh. on the ship. And so it was like a cruise ship and everybody was out on the deck for evening dinner and dance. So everybody's up, like standing up and dancing around the deck. And this cable snaps across the deck super duper fast and chops everybody in half. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so gruesome. And there's a survivor because there was one little girl dancing and it went above her head. Oh, my gosh. So she's just standing there, and there's, like, half bodies, like, sliding off of the bottom half torso and, like, thumping to the ground, and there's, like, blood everywhere. Oh, my gosh. And she's just standing there, like, oh, my gosh, what just happened? It's fantastic. So that's what this makes me think of. Whipping cables scare me. Yeah, they're no joke. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of cables, as we're recording this recently... The Aristotle Observatory just fell. Just fell. The cables snapped. A lot of whipping cables on that. Yeah. Yes, that was scary. I saw some of the footage. And by the looks of the condition of it, it was probably had been abandoned for some time. Yeah, it had been damaged heavily by hurricanes. Yeah. So it was in terrible disrepair. But the videos that I saw, there was one shot from the ground where you could see the whole thing collapse. And then there was a drone up in the air at the time inspecting where the cables were attached and you get to see the cables shred and separate yes one by one and that was crazy and so with the harpoon broken free of the front of the ship and nestled tangled more like it in the spreaders of the mast the plane is now caught in that situation i mentioned before where you've got the anchor point and it's spinning around and around and the the cable is wrapping around the ship And it's going to cause damage. So we get another instance in the book of the Mariner shouting crabs of hell, which seems to be his (laughs) favorite expletive there. And the smoker pilot, meanwhile, is equally struggling with the controls of his seaplane, trying to get it to bear. It says, The Mariner gave the woman a sneering, murderous look and ran to the base of the mast, stabbing his free hand through a wrist lanyard, pulling on a counterweight. But it was tangled in the harpoon line, circling the mast. The double-barrel spear gun, which he grabbed below deck, was on a strap, so he tossed it around his shoulder, stuck his knife in his teeth, and began climbing the teetering pole. And this is where the wrapping really starts to affect the Mariner. It says, The higher up he got, the more nauseating the sway of the mast was as the plane yanked the boat from side to side. You gotta give the Mariner credit for climbing despite those conditions, staying, you know, determined to get up there. But being on a boat is rough enough. (laughs) 
<laughs> but being in that situation where the mast is swaying so much and the boat, you can see down where Helen and Enola are pitching left and right, like lifting out of the water is being pulled so hard. Being on this boat, no matter where, is dangerous right now. Yeah, it's a sticky situation to be sure. And not the ideal state that we'd want to leave our heroes in at the end of an episode. So, come back next time. The smoker pilot will break free of the tether, the mariner will take a dive, and Helen will get a haircut. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tui, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. And like us on Facebook by searching MadMaxMinute and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit Patreon.com slash MadMaxMinute. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld Episode 37. We'll see you next time.